it's great to be here. We're honored, my wife and I. We've known uh, your pastors for a number of years in different contexts, uh, with uh, all the way back with Bob McGregor and Ken Wild and MFI and the uh, leadership teams that I've worked with them on, and we've done conferences together. And so we have a lot more relationship than I do with the entire congregation. Um, I was here last year. That might have been the first time I've been here was last year. I can't remember. And then this year. So I don't have a lot of uh, communication with you as a congregation, uh, but I feel like I know you because I know your pastors. Uh, today is uh, special. I'm honored to be here. Um, the uh, church, anytime a church has progression, is a sovereign good thing that you're alive and well after 11 years is uh, a wonderful thing, and that you are a thriving, growing local church. Uh, my lot in life right now is to visit and be with lots of churches. Uh, that's what I do pretty much, well, now all the time. Um, a different church almost every weekend, and help pastors and, and do stuff. So I see a lot of things. I see a lot of churches, a lot of atmospheres, a lot of cultures, a lot of pastors, uh, different age, different uh, lengths of time they've been in ministry, depths of ministry, troubles in ministry, and uh, it's, it's always uh, a joy to find a healthy church, uh, one that you can kind of take a breath. A lot of times I can't take a breath when I'm with the church because I got to guard every thought. I got to really speak, right? I got to help the leader. I got to troubleshoot a couple elders. I got to meet with a team of leaders that's upset. I, I got to meet with someone that just fell morally. Or I got to, you know, it's just one of those uh, working weekends. You go in and you just plow and you hope and you beg God for mercy and, and try to put it together. And hopefully uh, that church is better when we leave. Uh, but it's great to come to a church where you can just kind of sit and breathe a little bit and just kind of breathe in a good atmosphere of unity and respect and love and joy and happiness. And you can tell people are happy, the leaders are happy, ordaining the new elder. I, I met and talked with him already and just a wonderful couple, wonderful guy, you know, good roots, good theology. The guy knows what he's doing. It's a great addition for this eldership, for this church. And so I take a breath. I say, thank you, Jesus, for a healthy church, for healthy pastors and a healthy congregation. Uh, Whatever you do, don't, don't take that for granted. That's a, that's a special thing. You're, you're in a special time, and that special time is something you want to really capture and take advantage of and enjoy and, and uh, you know, do everything you can to keep the church the way it is and keep it moving. Uh, I, I really honor uh, J.O. and Radine, uh, they're, they're cut above. And again, I see a lot of leaders, but they're cut above. Uh, there, there's a thousand churches I know that would love to hire this guy right here. Uh, there's a thousand churches that would just throw a party if they could find a pastor like this. But we're not going to let them have him uh, because he has a church, and this church loves him so much. They're going to stand to their feet right now and cheer this man on and say... We love you and Ray Dean. Thank you. Thank you. Remain standing. Remain standing. Remain standing. We're honoring him and her and her and her 
because it takes two. My wife and I pastored for 40 years, and she was as much the success story as I was, and sometimes more so. So it takes two. I, I had times where I could confront and offend people and people be upset and email and text and send me letters and sign all that. Sharon never got one of those. <laughs> she never offended one person, her whole ministry. Not, I, I would say, Sharon, you got to get one of these letters, just one. <laughs> but no, they just all think she's, uh, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. <laughs> and so we're, we're honoring the integrity of this couple the passion of this couple, and that they're cool. <laughs> so I want to say thank you for being good pastors and leaders. We need a million more of your kind and reproduce your kind too. Don't, don't just let these couples slip through. You train them. You get them to be the next generation of leaders. Now, Every church grows because of good leadership. Can't have a good church without good leaders, just the way it is. Good eldership, you've got to have a good eldership. Staff, you've got to have a good staff. Worship, you've got to have good worship. Children, you've got to have good children's ministry. Buy a lot of crackers, a lot of juice, do it right. <laughs> you've got to have good youth. Oh, God, that's a hard one. That's a fun one. My son was a youth pastor with me for eight years before he left. And so, I mean, you've got to have, and you've got to have, and we could keep going. The, the point is this. The church is you. Church is you. You're the ones that work hundreds of free hours. Free hours. You give the church free hours. Thousands of them. Worth in your lifetime millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. That you invest in the church just by opening those doors and going to those classes and running those groups and, and building buildings and, and setting up chairs. I told the guy last night when he was setting up chairs or whenever it was, said, you're a game changer. You are a game changer because you're a chair changer. And without chairs, the church doesn't do well. And so someone that has that ability to stay with it and make sure everything is clean, man, they're worth their weight and go, you are why this church is so good. We don't get to have every one of you stand up here, but you are the givers. You give your tithe. You give your offerings. You send out missionaries. You take church plant stuff. You, you, you evangelize. You open your homes. I mean, you are the reason this church is thriving. So would you please turn and high-five at least five people and say, it's because of you. Come on. Awesome. Go ahead and be seated now. I've been doing a little bit of a series uh, because J.O. asked me if I do three different messages. I've not finished any one of the three, um, <laughs> such as my life. Why, why I did long series when I pastors because because I could. You know, I never finished, so I. You know, a three series always was a seven, a seven was a 15, and so on. You know, I, I didn't have to finish. I could go to the next Sunday. But here, you know, I'm not here next Sunday, but 
the Holy Spirit will be here and, um, and continue on. But I really felt to emphasize and just to lock in uh, the series that I'm doing with you called The Power of We, The Power of We. It's on, on the screen, The Power of We. And we're looking at this from uh, different angles. And I'm going to go fast because I know you got a picnic to go to and all that. Those are the important things of life. And um, so I'll try to get the word of God in as, as quickly as I can with you and then pray for you at the end, et cetera. But when we talk about we, we're talking about a kingdom of God culture. And the kingdom of God culture is made up of that word we. In the beginning, Genesis 1, God said, let us. Everyone say, let us. Let us. Let us, let us make man in our image. God was plural from the beginning. Jesus, the Son of God, was eternal before the incarnation, before the enfleshment. Christ was already in eternity. Christ has always been. You only know him as the birth of Jesus, but that's only because that's what we needed for redemption. But before that, there was a pre-cross manifestations of Christ throughout the Old Testament and throughout eternity. The Father was never alone. There was always a Son. There was always a Holy Spirit. From eternity past to eternity future, you will always have a Godhead, a Father, a Son, and a Holy Spirit. The plurality of the Godhead is also why he created man to be spirit, soul, and body, the triunity of man. We are meant to have relationship beyond ourselves. So we were never meant to be alone. We were meant to be involved with others. So the culture of the kingdom of God is a we and an us and an our. The culture of humanism and man today is an I and a me and a my. And so today it's all about the person. It's all about how worthy you feel and how good you can do in your career and your decision, everything about that, which is not totally wrong, but if you start with that as the core, it becomes wrong because selfishness never serves the person that has it. It destroys the person that has it. And so selfishness, loneliness, aloneness, only for yourself, will only do harm to yourself. And so when it comes to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is made up of a group of people called a community that we learn how to serve one another. We learn how to do life together. We learn how to relate, and that's where life becomes fun. Life is really life when you, I think, when you get married. Not that single life is not full because if God's called you to that, it can be a fullness of life. I'm not going to deal with that as a subject, but really God meant man to not dwell alone. And so when you get married, the one thing that happens is you can't stay selfish. You have to start sharing your money. And if you marry like a man marrying a woman, you share a lot of money, a lot of shopping, a lot of shoes, a lot of shoes. And so things happen in that arena where all of a sudden everything's different. And then things really change when you have children. And then children are even more spendy than the wife or the husband. And the children take more time and the children have more things than the children. And then you begin to protect the children and love the children and, and live through the children. And, and your whole life is given to the children and you stay up late waiting for them and early getting up and taking the schools and basketball games and whatever. And so life keeps spreading. And the more you live, the more you give. And the more you give, the more you live. And so when it comes to community, when it comes to the local church, 
the local church is God designed for us to learn how to relate, how to love, how to forgive, how to be involved, how to stay committed, how to be uh, the kind of person that Jesus would want you to be. Jesus came up with the idea of the church, not me, not J.O., not anybody else. It's a Jesus idea. I will build my church. And so when you get plugged into the church, you're plugged into a community, a relationship. You're plugged into a growth pattern. You, you get to do life with people. And when you do that, just be aware. Sometimes church doesn't always work out the way you think. Sometimes there's offenses. Someone doesn't eat your banana cream pie at the picnic. And so things happen when it comes to church. Uh, people get offended. People get run over with their emotions sometimes. They get forgot. Someone says something funny to them. You know, the church makes a decision you don't like. Or just remember, even on our worst day, the church is worth loving. Even when things don't go right for you, it's still good for you to go right for the church. It's good for you to stay involved in the church. I have time on my side. I'm 67, been in ministry over 40 years. I pastored for a long time. And I've known a lot of people in, in that time period. I also went to Bible college and graduated with everybody my age in my early 20s. I've also watched them go through life, and I meet them all over the world. Some of them have done very well. Some of them have shipwrecked horribly. When I trace it back, some of the ones that have really had the worst time are the ones that not only had a worst time in their time, but also their kids are now having a bad time. And their kids are not serving the Lord. Their kids are not in church anywhere. And if you trace it back, not this is the only thing. I mean, obviously, we could talk about more, but we're on this one area. They got offended at the church along the way. And they left the church. They left the church. Some of them started their own little group in a home, and they never got out of it. Some of them went to several other churches and found offense in every church and then just quit church altogether. Some of them uh, got into different religions. And so as you trace it back, the offense that was unresolved, the thing that happened to them in the church that they could not come to grips with or forgive or, or learn how to work through things, it affects your marriage. And the worst of it all, it affects your children. The children of offended parents become more offended. The offended children don't know how to handle the offense because the grace doesn't come to the person that didn't get the offense. Grace only comes to the person who had the offense. And so you pick up someone's offense, you pick up the burden without the grace. And so when you pick up the burden without the grace, you end up getting bitter and you end up getting mad and you end up getting more hatred. And before you know it, you, you hate all churches. You hate even God himself. You have, no, you have no heart for anything to do with the kingdom because now you're bitter. You don't even maybe know why you got so bitter. But those kind of things wreck families, wreck generations of people. I've watched generations of people get wrecked. So I want to say to you, in a healthy church, in a great atmosphere, where families are living together and you're raising your children, the, the greatest thing that can happen is that your children end up serving Jesus as passionately as you do. 
and they end up staying involved with a great local church just like you have. And if that's going to happen, then you have to be the model person who stays involved in the local church, loving and forgiving, and showing how to be a committed member of a body of Christ. Because today, people... They walk away from jobs, they walk away from institutions, they walk away from career places, they, they hate anything that's structured. People walk away from a lot of things. I just want to say to you, don't walk away from the church. Don't. It's worthy. It's worthy of a good fight. It's worthy of some pain. It's worthy. Do you not think that pastors don't get hurt and pained? You don't think there's times when I would say to Sharon, do I have to go to church today? Oh, yes, I'm the pastor. Yes, I should. Don't you think there were times where I didn't want to preach to the people? I just wanted to skin them alive? Come on. I'm just being vulnerable. But there are times when I get hurt, disappointed, and people say, of course. But I had to find a way to find a love and a forgiveness and a commitment to the thing Jesus said he was building in spite of my flesh, in spite of my emotions, in spite of my feelings. They committed to the church. Amen, Frank. That's so good. That is so good. The power of we. It's a secret seeing and doing great things for God. This is my definition. The power of we is the secret to seeing and doing great things for God that will be mind-boggling beyond anything imagined. I guarantee you that you cannot actually understand the great things that are in front of you. You can't see them yet. When you look back 11 years ago, and you started in a home somewhere probably, right? You started in someone's house, her, your house. He didn't have a house. You married him without a house. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to get that straightened out there. Uh, and then you somehow got into that little building over there, and you remodeled it. When you were sitting in the house with 20 or 30 people, did you imagine this building and being filled three or four times on a weekend and having having the men's meeting with that gun that that guy has, that gun. That's the best thing about this whole weekend is that gun. I got to see that gun. Would you even imagine that you would have churches in Phoenix and Honduras and wherever else? Would you even imagine that you would have this many young people and this many young marrieds and that you would be involved so much in the city. Wherever I go in the city, everybody knows the heart of the city church. Everybody knows it. Would you imagine that you would still be wanting to add another service maybe and maybe add more campuses and maybe you, you start imagining now and it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be out of any kind of a vain imagination for this church to start imagining yourself what it would look like for you to have 5,000 people. Because you're not far from that. Just a couple more zeros and it's there. A couple more services. I mean, you got to be. I don't know how many you are now. 1,015, whatever. You know how many people you have? Yes, sir. Huh? Yes, sir. How many? Before the summer, right around. No, no, no. Just tell me year round. What is your church? Over the weekend, probably like 
this weekend around 1,500. Okay, and so, and so is that normal? I mean, would it be more than that in the fall? It, it varies from seasons, from summer. You mean some people cheat and don't go to church? <laughs> where are they from? Idaho, that's where they're from. No, okay. Uh, wherever, 1,500, 1,400, 1,700, doesn't matter. The, the fact is, 11 years ago, you were what? <laughs> well, that's a pretty pitiful start right there, 12 adults. Jeez, how did you believe you'd grow it all? I pioneered with 18. 18 people is what we started with. You started with 12. You can't imagine that 12 would become 1,500. And if somebody would walk up to you and say, you know, there's 12 in 10 years, it's going to be 1,500 people, you'd go, well, I hope so, but bro, that's, uh, that's out there. I mean, that's a, that prophecy needs to be proven. You know, that, that's, I mean, you can't imagine. I want you to try to imagine what's going to be anniversary 20 look like. Will it be in this building? Maybe not. You, have, you might have to be in the university downtown building that seats 3,000. I don't even know if that exists. Uh, <laughs> You might have to be in the art center or somewhere else where you're looking at two or 3,000 people celebrating and you have 11 churches and you have 14 missionaries and, and you have an intern program with 200 kids in it and, and, and you just bought another campus building to start another campus across town. And before, How many of you understand what I'm saying that when God is in the picture, when God is in the picture, things happen. And they happen good. Now, the power of we, Ephesians 3.20. God can do anything. This is Matthew's translation. Eugene Peterson, I like it the best. God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine. Okay, I'm going to take the Bible up on that one. Or guess. Or request. In your wildest dreams... Okay, I challenge you, J.O. and Radine, to spend some time today and write out your wildest dreams for the church. Your wildest dreams. If there was no impossibilities and you could just take your brush and paint the picture and say, this is what, this is what I see and this is the target I think we should have. What's your wildest dream? Now, take it on the corporate level, take it on the business level, take it on the personal level, take it on your own individual level. Everybody here should have wild dreams when it comes to God, when it comes to destiny, when it comes to big things. You, you need to have that in your spirit. Here we are. We're rejoicing about this, which the video was great and everything that you're doing is great. And we're rejoicing about 11 years, which is fantastic. You have a thriving 11 years. The next 11 is going to even be more. Now, what I'm saying this morning with my clock that keeps running down, <laughs> clocks never go up, they go down. Around the world, clocks are a problem. <laughs> They're demonic. <laughs> I was born in the wrong era. A hundred years ago, a two-hour sermon was short. People, people would actually fire pastors for preaching too short. Think of that era. We, I don't think we'll ever see it again. 
And some of you are going, I hope not, bro. <laughs> some preachers need not to go two hours. I agree with that one. Here's my words for you. We celebrate, we believe. Would you say it with me? Celebrate, say it again. We celebrate, now shout it at me. Okay, we, we celebrate and we believe. We celebrate. Are you following me with slides? I don't see them, see them coming up. Did I offend you? Did I offend you? We will break bread afterward. And you're saying we're going to need a big loaf, bro. Okay. We celebrate. Thank you. Right there. Would you read it out loud with me, everybody together? To praise our mighty God, who has marked our life with miracles, grace, goodness, and marvelous things he has done. Now, we believe. Everyone together, let's read it. To see by faith the future things God is about to do will be amazing and beyond anything we could imagine. So we don't stop celebrating. Absolutely. But we also don't stop believing. Why is it that in America, you're a part of 350,000 churches? Why is it? And there's reasons for some because of they're in small little towns. They only have 400 people to draw from and understood. But we have thousands, we have 350,000 churches spread throughout the largest population of millions in America. Why is it the churches plateau at 200? We're talking 80% of all churches in America plateau at 200. In Pittsburgh, in LA, in Portland, in Seattle, wherever, there are thousands of people that could be in church, and there's thousands of people that won't go to church, and there's thousands of churches that plateau at a very small size. Why is that? Because they celebrate only their past, and they don't believe in a big future. So they have come to a certain place, and they stopped. The building stopped them, the parking lot stopped them, something stopped them, and they stopped, and they got satisfied, and they said, this far, no more, I'm okay with that. I, I want you to not be okay with that. Can I hear an amen? And I'll tell you why. Okay, we celebrate. With the church today, we're celebrating Isaiah 63, verse 7. I'll make a list of God's gracious dealings. I will tell of the Lord's unfailing love, all the things God has done that needs praising, all his abundant goodness toward us. I must shout out. Psalms 145, your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Well, this is a person who obviously has experienced a lot of greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. I want you to celebrate four things. Celebrate four things with me for this church. Number one, celebrate the great vision that has made you who you are. And that great vision involves gospel-centered, thriving, evangelism, discipling, structuring, building. I don't even know your vision statement, but I know them. And so you have a thriving vision 
that you have, you have actually got a leadership and a church that says God is able, God can do, God will provide, we're going to stretch, we're going to serve, we're going to touch our city, we're going to believe for thousands to be saved, but 10% of the population would be how many, I don't know, 5,000 people, we're going to believe for a tithe of the population, that's a thriving church, that's a thriving yes, faith, that's a thriving vision, why believe for less when you can believe for more? Yes. Isaiah 54, my verse to you. Isaiah 54, verse 1 and 2. Break forth into singing. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your curtains. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. What is that? Isaiah 54 is a growth mentality, an attitude of we're celebrating a great vision. Number two, I want you to celebrate faithfulness, the faithfulness of God in and over your vision. Lamentation 3.22, through the Lord's mercies, we're not concerned, uh, consumed because his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We sing it. Great is your faithfulness. Message translation says, God's loyal love couldn't have run out. His merciful love couldn't have dried up. They're created new every single morning. How great your faithfulness. I'm sticking with God, and I'm going to say it over and over. He's all I've got. I'm going to stick with God. Can I hear an amen? amen. He's been faithful to you folks. He's provided for you great family atmospheres. He's provided friendships for you. He's provided for you buildings and things that other people maybe couldn't get. He was faithful. Number three, we want to celebrate the promises that God has made. What are the promises God's made to this church? Joshua 21, 45, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord has spoken. I would keep a running list. That's Joshua 21, 45. I, t I kept a running list of all the promises, prophetic promises, Raymond promises that I had as a pastor. I kept them in a journal. Now I would read over all the prophecies and the promises and things in my own heart I would write down. And I would lay it before the Lord and said, Lord, you said that we could cry out for the nations of the world and that you would let us be involved. And Lord, I'm going to choose some nations now. And I want you to help me get to these nations. Lord, I'm going to choose some cities. You said that we were to be a city-reaching church. I'm going to choose some. Lord, you said we were to train more young people, so we're going to extend the college. Lord, you, and I would put down the promises. I want you as a leadership team and as a church. What are the promises that God has given this church? What has he promised to do? Did he promise to pour out his spirit upon this city? Did he promise to heal people's marriages? Did he promise to bring home the prodigals? Did he promise to save many people and add them to the kingdom of God? Did he promise that you would be a city serving and a city reaching church that would impact this city with the compassion love of Jesus Christ that people might respect the church again in a way they've never respected the church maybe in the last hundred years? I want you to think about your promises and then I want you to cry out to God and say, Lord, don't let one of those promises fall to the ground. Not one. Not one. We're, we're celebrating. How about number four? We're celebrating all the people restored to Jesus. I did this point in a message 
at our church sometime back. I can't remember when. But I actually wrote down every name that I could remember and names that I couldn't, I got from other pastors. And, and I just started writing down actual people names, John and Amy and Trent. I, I just filled a page of names. And when I got to this point, I said, we're rejoicing in the people that God has saved. And there's been literally thousands. And here's some of the names. And, and some, something about when you put a name on something, and then I had some of those people start standing and they were weeping. The church started weeping. And people realized, I, I remember when, when that guy got saved. I remember when that marriage was, I remember when that prodigal came home. Man, did we rejoice? Did we have a service when that prodigal was restored? And I remember, and the church started breathing in this, this legacy of compassion and love where we are celebrating today all the people that have come into the heart of the city church that were prodigals and unsaved and broken lives. And, and they don't sit around with a sign up saying, I was broken and I was unsaved and I was prodigal, but you're sitting next to them right now. How many of you were prodigals, unsaved, and broken lives and you came into this church and got right with God. Put your hands up right now and you say, I am those people. I am those people. I am. In Luke 15, as you know, the story of the prodigal, it says, get, get the clothes ready. That's what the father said. It's a message translation. It says, get the clothes ready. I want to prophesy with my eyes open. Get the clothes ready. Get the shoes bought. Get the fatted calf killed. Get the ring ready because the prodigals are on their way. They're on their way. An old man was walking along the beach. And the beach was several miles long. And he lived there. And he'd walked that beach many times. And he spotted down the beach a long ways somebody throwing things into the water. And he thought, they're probably throwing something wrong. And so he made his way down to this young man. And he says, young man, what, what are you doing? He says, I'm throwing starfish into the water. The old man says, why, why would you do that? He says, because the tide's going to go out and these starfish will die. The old man says, well, son, look down the beach. There are thousands of starfish, miles of beach. How can you make a difference? And as he, the boy reached down and picked up another starfish, threw the starfish into the water, he says, it makes a difference for this one. Makes a difference for this one. You might not save all of Coeur d'Alene, but it makes a difference for those people that just lifted their hands. Makes a difference that somebody would walk along that beach and see all these broken marriages 
and someone says, there's no way to heal the broken marriages. There's thousands of, there's, there's, there's hundreds of people in immorality and, and wrong lifestyles and wrong attitudes. And, and there's so many unsaved people and prodigals. I don't even know where to start. I'll tell you where to start. Bend down and pick up one. One. And say, well, it makes a difference for her. It makes a difference for him made a difference for me. One person. One person. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating a church that loves the lost. You love broken lives. You have a heart for this. And I'll tell you what. Jesus likes churches like this. Jesus likes to join the membership class. Jesus likes to be in the middle of the auditorium lifting his hand saying, I'm at home. I'm at home. When we start doing a lot of evangelism, broken lives, and people start being saved, I mean, by the dozens, then the hundreds. And one day, I was walking in the sanctuary, and, and some guys walked by me, and they were, had been drinking, reeked with alcohol. And the usher says, what do we do with that? And I said, we throw a party. He says, what, what do you mean? They've already had a party. <laughs> I said, smell it. So he does it with me. He says, Pastor, what are you doing? I said, those are sinners ready to be saved. And they're here. They're here. They, they came into this room. They are amongst us. Let's rejoice. They are here. A church that loves the broken is a church that will prosper in the kingdom of God. I'll prophesy. You'll never lack buildings, lands, staff, or money. If you will take the people no one wants, God will give you the people everybody's trying to get. That's right. Look at Jesus' profile. He took the wrong group. He did. I mean, come on. He took us. He took a J.O. and a Frank. Other people were saying, what are you doing with J.O.? Well, I see. What are you doing with Frank? I mean, people ask anybody around me when I was first coming in, what are you doing with Frank? I mean, I was messed up. I was messed up. Messed up. But Jesus loves messes. He's a pro. When he sees someone messed up, he says, I can fix it. I can fix that. I can love them. I can help them. As a church, our calling is to celebrate the broken. Okay, now the clock's changed again to ministry time. I've not seen that term before. <laughs> Have we already passed the finish sign? It's usually it goes down and then there's a big sign that says, you're done. 
And then there's a ministry one where they reset. Ooh, Shandai Rama, he turned the clock off. <laughs> Thank you. I will give you one of my books for free. I don't have any of them here. Okay. What's that? Okay. Never mind, I got it. Just was a little, he's a little deep for me. <laughs> I love you, J.O. You're my kind of guy. And I love your wife, too. You know, I said in the first service, God uses geeks and boring personalities and some very strange pastors I've met along the way. So you don't have to be cool to be used of God. But it's really nice to find a few cool ones. <laughs> and J.O. and Ray Dean, they're cool. They're cool. Dress is right. I mean, how, how is his shirt with his arm? His big arm. Every time I come here, I look at his arms, I look at my arms, and I say, long sleeve, long sleeve. <laughs> No, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> okay, let me wrap this up. Everyone say celebrate. celebrate. Okay, we have those four things, and there's 400 more, but those are four. But everyone shout believe. believe. Okay, we're going to believe for these four things. Number one, we're going to believe that God has the greatest things planned for you that you could ever imagine. And our prayer is whenever you come into the sanctuary, your faith, your value, your worth enlarges. And that every person that sits here says, I'm a great person. I'm a great person. It is said that anybody can make someone feel small, but only a great person can make a small person feel great. God is a great person. So God can make you the way we want you to feel when you come into this room is I can and I will and God is for me and I'm going to do great things and God has chosen me and this is the church I'm in and they're making me a great man, a great woman of God. I have great plans. God has great plans for me. I'm going to see them fulfill. Nothing's impossible in my life. Can somebody say amen? amen. Two, we're going to believe the vision will keep expanding. Keep expanding. One, one of the great scriptures that God gave me that I'm going to give you is Joshua 17, 14 through 18. Joshua 17, 14 through 18. And I know I'm taking longer. Are you okay? Yeah, I mean, what do you say? No. Um, <laughs> it's kind of unfair question, but really the potato salad will keep. It'll, it'll stay for a while. I won't keep you much longer. I got to get home too. And I, I have a much longer trip. What was I saying? Huh? Joshua. That's right. Okay, Joshua 17. We were at a standstill in our vision. We had one campus. We seated 3,253 people in the auditorium. 
we had a parking lot that would only allow us to have about 12 to 1,500 actual people in the auditorium. We only had 600 parking spaces in, a, in that size of an auditorium. So we were way out of whack and we tried all kinds of, but we were stuck, we were stuck. I was stuck, I had taken over that stuck vision. I took it over from Brother Dick and I was trying to figure it out and we weren't growing, we kept capping, every service kept capping and we couldn't do, we tried shuttle, didn't work. And so we were stuck. And the Lord gave me this scripture where Joshua is dividing up the land to all the different tribes and in comes the tribe of Joseph. Remember, the tribe of Joseph is called Ephraim and Manasseh because that is the tribe of Joseph. When you look at the 12 tribes, and it doesn't say Joseph, but it says Ephraim and Manasseh, that is the tribe of Joseph. That's his kids. That's where the inheritance was given. Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph was a visionary. Joseph had a prophetic way of seeing what no one else could see. And he had two children, Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, fast forward from Joseph all the way through Canaan land. And now they fought all the battles. And they come to the place where the battles had been fought. And Joshua's dividing up the land. And in come Ephraim and Manasseh. And he looks at him and says, okay, guys, what do you want? And they said, well, Joshua... What you've given us doesn't fit. He said, what? He said, no, it doesn't fit. It's not big enough. It's too confined. And we have a lot of people. We don't want to take that country. Joshua says to them, and I'm trying not to look at my notes. If I do, it's a 15-minute quick sermon. But <laughs> Joshua says to them, because Ephraim and Manasseh said to Joshua, we are a great people, you know. And we have a great legacy. Joshua listens, okay? Then he reverses it to them and he says, all right, guys. If, everyone shout if. Yes. He says, if you are a great people, then I'm going to tell you how to prove that you're a great people. Because Ephraim and Anath said, we need more than one lot. He says, I'm going I'm to give you another lot. Fantastic. He said, this is the deal, guys. You're going to go up to the mountain country where the iron chariots and the giants. You're going to clear the land, cut down the trees, establish your country, and you will have all the land that you can clear. If you are a great people, surely mountains don't bother you. Chariots of iron don't bother you. Giants don't bother you because you told me you're a great people. Well, we are a great people. Then go up. Everyone shout, go up. Go up. Come on, shout, go up. Go up. Then you got to go up. Go up. No, I'm preaching now. You got to go up. <laughs> and then you got to cut down. Come on, say cut down. Yeah. If you are a great church and you don't want just one lot, anointing one lot vision, go up, cut down, clear the land, tackle the mountains, take over the chariots, go where other churches can't go, go to the colleges, university, high schools, go to the places where there's a lot of nothing going on spiritually, but you're going to go in and, and because you can't fit in this building, find some places where you need to chop down some spiritual trees, go up higher and inherit a new vision. If 
You are a great people. Mountains don't bother you. It's, it's like Caleb who says, okay, Joshua, give me that mountain. Give me that mountain. I want that one right there. I want the big one. I want the one with the most giant. And he's an old man. Joshua says, well, are you sure you can do this? I can do this. I've been waiting all these years. I'm going to go in and I'm going to rip. I am going to kill. I am going to take those giants out. I'm going to establish my city, bro. You just give me the hardest mountain. Joshua says, you, you got it. And he cleared it. And you know who cleared it for him? Another message. His daughter. His daughter. His daughter. Rose up and said, I'm going to do this, Dad. He says, you can't. You're of the wrong gender. And she said, Dad, I'm your daughter. In my blood is giant killing. And she says, I'm going to go up and I'm going to take over. Daughters. Women. That'll preach. That'll preach. Okay, I really do got to end here. Number three, we're going to believe. Last point. This is the last point. Like at the Last Supper. Lean over and go to sleep on someone's shoulder. Number three, last point. We believe God will increase his favor and blessings over us. We're believing that he will increase his favor and his blessings over us. Okay. I want you to write down 11 words because it's your 11th anniversary. 11 words. We move mountains. We run marathon vision races. We celebrate believe. 11 words to remind you what I said this weekend. We move mountains. We run marathon vision races. We celebrate and believe. 11 words on your 11th anniversary. Move mountains. Run the race. Love your church. Clear the land. Celebrate the past, but don't live in the past. Believe for a future and believe for a future that has mountains, chariots, and giants. You got this building by a miracle. There's more buildings to get by more miracles. Don't stop. There's a generation of leaders that you can raise up. And, and when you look back 10 years from now, you could have 10 of these. You could have 10 of these. Or five of these. Or 20. But whatever you do, don't stop. You're too good to keep this to yourself. Reach down, pick up a starfish and say, it matters to this one matters to this one. We're going to make everything matter. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right. I want J.O. and Ray Dean to come real quickly. I'm going to pray for you. Um, again, I'm, I'm wrapping up. I know you've got to be on your way to your picnic. Sharon, uh, you come stand with me. Church, I think what I'm going to do is uh, a real spiritual thing. It will only take 
a minute. But Paul said that I might come to you and might lay hands on you and I might impart to you a gift and a spiritual thing. Impartation laid on a hand from apostolic to pastoral was real in the scripture. I am apostolic at this point in my life. I wouldn't have said that 10 years ago because all the apostles were martyred, so I called myself a pastor. (laughs) But that's what I do now. And I think I have a deposit of 40 years of meshed together stuff. And I'm going to lay hands on this couple, which how many times have I done that in the last 12 months? Zero. That's how many times? Zero. I would only do this if I was told to do it by the Holy Spirit. And I'm doing it for that reason. I want to impart to this couple whatever I can that enlarges their tent and their stakes, their virtue and their grace to see great things. Can you agree with me? Would you just stand to your feet? Reach your hands toward them like you were laying hands on them, but I'm going to be you as I lay hands on them. And let's believe for a supernatural impartation right now. Father, we come. Lord, I'm believing that there is an impartation of faith, an impartation of capacity. Lord, I believe there is an impartation for these two of the supernatural realm for miracles a supernatural realm for preaching in a realm that he's not even touched before. Lord, I believe there's a realm of raising up leaders and campuses and extensions that will fall upon him that he will understand exactly how to and what to. Lord, I impart to this man whatever faith that I have had to use, I impart to this woman the ability to take cities like Caleb's daughters, that she would see herself as a generation leader of raising up mighty women of God that will never be limited because of gender. They will have capacity by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, raise up a generation of leaders from this couple right here. Impart to them a vision that will stretch them a resource that will prosper them, an anointing that will break the yokes on people's lives. Lord, we're believing for great things right here, right now. Believing for this church. Now, church, lift your hands straight up to God. Just lift your hands to God. Father, right now I'm praying for this congregation. Lord, I pray there would be an anointing of grace upon them to stretch, to follow, to serve, to sacrifice to pick up the starfish and throw it back in the ocean. Lord, to make the difference that we can in this particular city, Lord, they could actually have such an impact on this city that it will go for generations to come. Lord, the business people that will be saved, the university people, the college people, the teachers, the doctors, the lawyers, the young people, the millennials. Lord, we believe that we are getting ready for a revival of prodigals that will return to the house of God. Lord, we're getting ready with the ring and the robe and the shoes and an attitude of let them come. We're ready for them to restore their lives. Lord, make this church do exactly what it's doing. Grow. Grow deeply, grow outwardly. Reach, reach down, reach up, reach over. Lord, we're believing 
for a supernatural grace to be upon them. Thank you, Jesus, for 11 years. Fasten your safety belt for the next 11 because it's going to be a mighty time in the kingdom of God. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout and a clap this morning.